There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. What is the law of attraction? Is it a legitimate approach to success in life? Does it work? Does it bring prosperity? Is it the same as the law of sowing and reaping as described in the Bible? What are the differences? What is the secret, and should it be embraced by people of all religions? Many questions need to be answered. Let's start by laying the foundation and exploring the beginning of this movement. Who was the author of The Secret? In 2006, an Australian woman named Rhonda Burns released a video and later a book titled The Secret. In it, she heavily promoted something called the Law of Attraction. Soon after, Oprah helped push it until it became a societal megatrend, both nationally here in the United States and globally. Many Christians bought into it, so it needs to be carefully considered to see if it is legitimate or illegitimate. What about the original insights that Rhonda Burns received? She claims that it happened when her daughter gave her a book titled The Science of Getting Rich by Wallace Waddles that was published in 1910. It was a time of personal trauma for Rhonda Burns, so she was searching for answers. Here's a quote from Wallace Waddles. He says, The universe wants you to have everything you want to have. And another quote, Man can form things in his thought, and by impressing his thought upon formless substance can cause the thing he thinks about to be created. Is that true? Does man have that kind of power? Does the universe really want us to have everything we desire to have? Hitler wanted world domination, and I'm sure he was consumed with that recurring idea night and day. Did the universe acquiesce to his mindset and create the extreme global instability and chaos that resulted in the world? Or was it another source, a darker source? Rhonda Burns also claimed that her original insights came from a woman named Esther Hicks, who is a channeler. And she claimed to channel a multi-personality entity named Abraham. Now, channeling is condemned by the Bible and is a form of witchcraft, which I will emphasize later in this podcast, but I'm going to quote to you something that supposedly Abraham, this multi-personality entity, speaking through Esther Hicks, said during a channeling session. 
listen to what Abraham spoke. Supposedly, it was Abraham, I believe, a different source. Anyway, here is the quote. Physical human has found many labels that they use, depending on how they feel in the moment, to try and describe their interaction with non-physical. We are source energy. We are collective consciousness, meaning a stream. We are a consensus of many, what you might call non-physical voices. We are that which some have called angel. We are that which some have called God. We are that which some have called inner being. But most importantly, and we'll use some of our favorite words again, we are focalized consciousness, specifically responding to the vibration that you manage in your asking. That was supposedly communicated from Abraham, a multi-entity being that spoke through a channeler named Esther Hicks. Let me repeat the last line that we are focalized consciousness, specifically responding to the vibration that you manage in your asking. And so this particular entity said that its sole purpose in existing was to respond to what people ask of it, to accomplish. And that was supposedly part of the foundation of this concept called the secret and the law of attraction. In the book, The Secret, Rhonda Burns likens the power of the universe to a genie. And to those who use the law of attraction to draw to themselves what they desire in life, it's like the person who discovers the genie in the bottle. Now, the huge problem with that analogy is that the genie is subject to the will of the one who controls it, the one who rubs the bottle. And so that puts human beings in a superior position and deity in an inferior position. If God is the great genie of the universe that waits to respond to what we desire, and then rushes to make it happen when we hold that thought in our minds repetitiously enough, often enough, and with enough expectation. Now, what are the foundational teachings of the secret and the law of attraction? I can sum it up in three words. Thoughts become things. If you repeat certain ideas in your mind and your speech often enough, with enough faith or expectation or confidence, the universe will respond and send you what you have imagined or declared. That's the simple definition of it. Also, it includes the idea that whatever happens in your life, you have attracted it. And that includes the bad stuff. So fearful thoughts, depressive thoughts, defeatist thoughts, all of these can draw defeat and depression and disaster into your life. What about the Titanic? I'd like to bring in that particular example for just a moment because I don't believe there was a dominance of negative thoughts in the minds of the people on the Titanic that they would probably sink that night when it struck an iceberg. Quite the opposite. 
There was an arrogant kind of attitude that the Titanic was unsinkable. And yet that tragedy took place where hundreds died in the frigid waters of the Atlantic. What about the Holocaust? Did the Jewish people attract that devastating treatment they received during the Third Reich? Or was that something perpetrated by the evil that controlled Hitler? Was it a response to negative hidden fears in the collective mind of the Jewish people? Or was it a different source altogether? I don't think that the rules of the secret that supposedly manage this whole process have really been thought through well. Also, the nature of ultimate reality in the secret is the quote-unquote universe. That's often referred to in an impersonal way, that the universe has your back. The universe will respond to you. The universe will grant you whatever you desire. But wait just a moment. That is confusing the creator with the creation. The universe is not a conscious entity and certainly is not a responsive deity. The universe is a physical cosmos that was created by a personal God that you approach in a much different manner. And yet, in the secret, in the law of attraction, the highest power that is controlling how this all functions in your life is the quote-unquote universe. Well, I don't believe we are controlled nor served by the universe. There is a much higher power that we should be appealing to, and I'll get to that more later on. In the secret, human beings are exalted to a God status. The philosophy of the secret is based on the idea that we are God, which is the automatic outcome of a pantheistic worldview. Pantheism stems from Hinduism, and the word pantheism comes from two root words, pantheos, that means all is God. So pantheism is the belief that the universe is an emanation of the Godhead. Everything in the universe is connected by spirit, by this life force, by this cosmic energy, including us. We're all connected to the universe. The universe is connected to us. And it brings God down to the level of being an it, not a he, a force, not a person. Yet, the secret is based on the idea that we are God. Because, see, it's no quantum leap of logic if you say the mountain is God, the planet Mars is God, the river is God, the dog is God, the cat is God, the tree is God, the flower is God to then move to the conclusion that you are God and I am God, which is, I believe, the antithesis of the truth. I'm going to quote from Rhonda Byrne's writings now out of The Secret. Listen to this. This is just as blatant as it can be. She says, and I quote, you are God in a physical body. You are spirit in the flesh. You are eternal life expressing itself as you. You are a cosmic being. You are all power. You are all wisdom. 
You are all intelligence. You are perfection. You are magnificence. You are the creator. And you are creating the creation of you on this planet. Could that be true? Or is that absolutely the antithesis of the truth? Think about that as we continue. What's right about the law of attraction? Is there anything right about the law of attraction? Well, it's all based on the idea of maintaining a positive mindset that can contribute to a person's success in life. Does the Bible teach that? Well, of course the Bible teaches faith and confidence and confession. It teaches the need to bring every thought under control. However, there is a fine line between being in agreement with God's word and trying to manipulate the sovereign God to do our bidding by some kind of mystical esoteric formula. There's a difference between appealing to him, that's one approach in prayer, or praising him by expectation of a promise coming to pass and believing that he is sovereign and he can do that very thing. He can honor his word and bring it to pass in your life if you attach your faith to that promise. And then sovereignly yourself expecting to make it happen by your creative thought processes. If having a positive mindset was wrong totally, then Paul was wrong totally when he said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And of course, there's a limitation within what sounds like an unlimited statement. He said, I can do all things. Well, of course, that doesn't mean he can lift up the Empire State Building with his little finger. All things is intended exaggeration. It's something that the Bible uses quite often. Hyperbole is the word we use for it. That doesn't mean I can do absolutely everything, nothing barred, but it does mean anything within the limitations of a son or a daughter of God that is possible, I can do it. Now, if it's wrong to have a positive confession, Paul never should have written those words. He should have said, I'm pleading with God to give me enough strength to survive. But instead, he tapped into the promises of Scripture. He based his proclamation on the declaration of what God's already said in his word. And on the basis of that, he said, I can do all things, anything I need to do. I'm inspired by God to do in life. I'm called to do according to his purpose. I can do it. And I think that's an approach we should all have. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says it this way. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, the King James says, think on these things. The New King James says, meditate on these things. So it is good to meditate, to ponder thoughtfully and prayerfully and worshipfully things that are true, noble, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. Why? Because whatever you focus your thoughts on, you tend to 
draw towards in your life, and you tend to draw those things toward you. It's not a mystical or weird process, and it's not the universe granting these things to you. But if you focus your attention on being a joyful person, quite often you'll end up becoming a joyful person. If you focus on scriptures that promise joy to you, instead of allowing depression to rule your mind. So there is a power in the human psyche to move either in a negative or a positive direction in your life. So we are not totally exempt from responsibility. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3, 4, and 5 says it this way, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. The King James Version says, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Listen to this next phrase, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So what is a stronghold? A stronghold is a negative pattern of thinking that is repeated in your mind, in the inner workings of who you are. You resort to it. You continually return to that negative pattern of thinking, and it pulls you over into discouragement or depression. And in order to overcome it, you've got to bring every thought into captivity into obedience to the revelation of the Word of God. And so, yes, it's important what our thought life is, because otherwise, if our mind is given its sway over us, it will carry us in a very negative direction. I think it's important also to see that human beings are creative, and we have creativity given to us on three different levels the physical level, the soulish level, and the spiritual level, because we are made up of body, soul, and spirit. On a physical level, human beings can, and I am a little reluctant to use this word because it's been used wrongly, but we can participate with the creative process in procreating or co-creating, if you will, offspring. Now, that doesn't mean a a person necessarily has to be in a relationship with God to have children. It's just built into the makeup of the physical body, the power to procreate. It's given to animals. It's given to humans. And on that level, you don't have to invite God's participation in the process. You should. A believer definitely should. You want God's blessing on your offspring. You want his blessing on uh, the sons and daughters you bring forth into this world. But I'm talking about just generally speaking, in the entire human race, there's plenty of conceptions that take place without a conscious prayerful appeal to God to be involved in the process. Then you have soulish creativity. The soul is made up of the mind, will, and emotions. I'm talking about unregenerated people now that do not necessarily have a relationship with God, but in their minds they conceive an idea, and in their emotions they 
get control of negativity and generate a positive attitude and they can conceive of something. They can have an idea, say for a business, a corporation, an invention that they drive to a pinnacle of success just through their thinking and their emotional connection to whatever they want to bring to pass. And they may never appeal to God to be invited into the process. And it's all an act of creativity. They create in their minds a possibility that they go after with their thoughts and their emotions, and they bring it to pass. And they may never invite God into the process and succeed and prosper sometimes. So there is a power in the mind to accomplish great things. Great inventions have come to pass through people who are not necessarily spiritual. But then there's a third level of creativity, and that is spiritual in nature. When you get an idea from God, you come into alignment with the will of God in your life. You begin to praise God for the fulfillment of a dream he's given you, a vision he's given you. Maybe he spoke to you audibly and you attach yourself to that idea and you pursue it with passion. You generate the right kind of emotions and thinking toward the accomplishment of that dream and it comes to pass. Then you are participating with God. Now, many New Agers use the phrase co-create, so I'm not really comfortable using that, but we participate in the creative process. God doesn't do it all by himself. He wants us to participate. God doesn't create cars. He creates metals in the earth and then gives men the knowledge to shape it and form it into parts that become a vehicle that you drive. God doesn't create houses, but he creates trees and the metals in the ground that become the nails, that nail the boards together that come from the trees. So both God and men participate in creating a house for someone to live in. So yes, there is a kind of participation in a creative process. I'm not denying that. I don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. But the secret carries it too far and walks into territory that is prohibited by the Word of God. So maybe I should get to the category of this podcast, what's wrong with the secret and what's wrong with the law of attraction. When you really inspect it, it should actually be called the law of detraction because the word detract means to remove or to take away. For instance, to take away from the quality or the value or the reputation of something. What's called the law of attraction is really the law of detraction because it takes away from the elements of the truth, fundamental principles that are necessary to be a success in life and to find spiritual wholeness. Is the law of attraction the same as the law of sowing and reaping? Well, let me read the Bible passage that refers to that. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. He who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit 
reap everlasting life. Now, quite often, those who supposedly try and use the law of attraction do so to bring wealth and abundance in their life, which is a very selfish pursuit at times and causes one to indulge in the flesh. And right there, Verse 8 says, he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. There's no talk about moral parameters of living in the secret. It's all about self-indulgence, catering to the self, doing whatever your heart desires. So, no, it's not the same as the law of sowing and reaping. There is a legitimacy in seeing that the thoughts we think have an effect on what comes to us in life. And the deeds that we do have an effect on what comes to us in life. The law of sowing and reaping, though, is in a general sense, not a specific sense. It's not like God never said, think about something 10,000 times and you'll cause it to materialize. He just said, what you sow is what you reap. And if you sow kindness to other people, they'll tend to be kind back to you in return. But sometimes you can be loving and kind and receive something quite opposite as a result. Jesus did. He came and showed only love and was crucified as a result. So it's not always tit for tat. It's not always an equal return on what you sow. Also, I think we need to see that the primary source of this revelation of the quote-unquote law of attraction is something outlawed in the Bible. It came through a channeler named Esther Hicks, through a multi-personality entity that referred to itself as Abraham and used the plural pronoun we because it was supposedly more than one entity or spirit being. Well, I contend that it was a demon impersonating this spirit being that was called Abraham. Listen to what God says in Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 through 12. He was warning the children of Israel, when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. The King James Version says a consulter with familiar spirits instead of a spiritist. And that's exactly what a channeler does. A channeler consults with spirits and offers a human vessel, a human voice for those spirits to speak through. God said that's an abomination to him. And since the source of the secret is abominable in the sight of God, then the ideas it promotes must be abominable. Even if some people implement those approaches and seem to get a certain measure of success from it, that doesn't legitimize the whole concept. Next, the secret and the law of attraction do not really address the idea of multiple persons competing for the same result. What if there's a hundred people in a corporation that all want the next level job that's opening up? There's a leadership position that's going to come available. 
And what if there's 100 people on a lower level in that corporation that are all functioning with the law of attraction and day and night they're thinking, 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 thinking over and over again, I will get that position, I will get that position, I will get that position. Who's going to win? If someone thinks it 10,008 times, is that person going to get it instead of the one who thinks it 10,001 times? What about bringing into the picture, bringing into consideration factors like the length of time the person's been with the corporation, the qualifications of the person, the level of responsibility that person has shown in the past, and the appreciation of that person's leaders for their abilities? It's not just about thinking yourself into a position. There's a lot of other factors to consider, and this is one of the most important points. The secret and the law of attraction do not teach that fundamental principles like repentance and the born-again experience and the crucifixion of Jesus, the resurrection, and the ascension of the Lord are all essential to a belief system. And yet these are absolute essentials if we're going to enjoy the gift of eternal life. So even if the secret worked for a person, it's not sufficient to bring spiritual wholeness into a person's life. A human being is still incomplete as long as the Spirit of God is not within that human being. No wonder one Christian seminary professor named Donald Whitney said, it is no exaggeration to say that the secret implicitly and sometimes explicitly denies virtually every major doctrine in the Bible. Because according to the Bible, you are not the master of the universe, like Rhonda Burns says. And she gives an all-inclusive statement that you are, and this is to Christians, Buddhists, Hindus, Muslims, non-religious people. She says, you are the heir of the kingdom. While the Bible says, unless a man is born again, he cannot even enter the kingdom. And only those who are in a submitted relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ become heirs of the kingdom. So this idea doesn't even connect with the necessity of claiming the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus for your sins to be washed away so that the Spirit of God can dwell in you, repenting of your sins so that God can create in you a new spirit and put his spirit in you so that you have a compulsion to live a holy life. All of these ideas are totally absent from the secret. It's really, therefore, and this is a strong statement, but I'm going to make it, it's really therefore witchcraft. Witchcraft is illegitimate spiritual authority. Witchcraft is spiritual authority apart from a relationship with the God who has all authority. In fact, it's a usurping of God's position. It's robbing God of his sovereignty and enthroning human beings. I know that sounds serious and severe, but it's intended to be that way. It dethrones God and enthrones man. Again, let me go back to Rhonda Burns' quote. She said, you are God in a physical body. You are spirit in the flesh. Listen, only Jesus was God in a physical body. Only he 
was the one who could claim having the fullness of the Spirit without measure, walking in the world. And then, of course, he granted to his own the infilling of that Spirit. But to say that we are all manifestations of God in the world is absolutely false. There is a law of attraction, though, a biblical kind of law of attraction. It's not the one being promoted in the secret, but I would call it the real law of attraction. It's not mechanical. It's not based on some kind of formula of maintaining a thought in your mind consistently. It's relational. It's based on an attitude of the heart. It's Second Chronicles seven fourteen, where God said, If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then God said, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. God is attracted to repentance. First Peter 5, 5 says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humility is an attractive thing to God, too. And if you want to function in the correct law of attraction, humble yourself before God. The Bible said, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, recognizing his omnipotence, and humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, recognizing his omniscience. Also, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That scripture does not say you have to believe the universe has your back, but there's a personal God who wants to be in your life. And if that God is for you, who and what can be against you? Being a Christian does not ensure that you have a problem-free life, but it does ensure that all things will work together for your good, and most importantly, you will live forever. So if there's an outcome to this podcast, this episode, that I hope will happen in your life, I hope you will shun the false ideas about the law of attraction and embrace the true law of attraction, which is humbling yourself in repentance toward God and then believing his promises and praising him for the fulfillment of those promises do not dethrone God. Approach him as the sovereign Lord of lords and King of kings in your life, but then realize he wants to share his authority with you as long as you acknowledge his headship in your life. There's a huge difference between what was promoted in the secret and the passages of the Bible that are no secret to any person if you'll read them with a heart that is open to what God says. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shreve's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.